and welcome back to another solo episode of Rallon's Rant. Uh, this episode will mainly look at the fiasco known as Val de Lobo and all it has to offer. The ups, the downs, the slick, the clowns, you name it, it'll be covered. So uh, before we get into that, um, I'd just like to thank everyone who gave any feedback on the last podcast. Some was positive, some was negative, which is exactly what you want to hear. So hopefully it'll provide a better experience for the listener today. And if it doesn't, it's probably time to scratch the solo effort and uh, get the bullet and Gilso back on to talk about all things schools rugby. But um, yeah, and then also just one last thing to add for anyone who has donated anything to the Patreon account. Thank you very much. Um, I've actually done two episodes for this. So two different takes and I'll be uploading both to the Patreon account. While if you're not a patron, you'll be getting one. So if you want the best of both worlds and you've got 90 cents to spare a month, please log on. It's on my social media accounts. It's on the rounds around Facebook page and it's attached with every other podcast. So if you feel generous, please, please, it would mean a hell of a lot to me. So please try and get involved. But yeah, today there's a a variety of questions and topics I need to get through. Uh, Ryanair, my love for cats, loose stuff regarding pro rugby, my Val de Lobo experience, my quick fire round, which is mainly based around Val de Lobo as well. But without further ado, I might as well delve into Ryanair as my first topic of discussion slash debate slash rant. But to talk briefly on the topic, Ryanair, it's you get what you pay for basically, which is essentially a pirate ship with wings. But like recently I used this three, four months ago with regard, I think, what was it doing? Yeah, I was going to Liverpool to watch them uh, have a heroic comeback against Barcelona. But anyway, not to get uh, too bogged down into one of the best nights of my life. There's a new baggage thing, priority and non-priority. So if you bring a bag that's essentially travel size, you still got charged for it. So you have to go into priority and all this sort of bullshit. So I arrive at the airport, rush to the gate, and they're like, oh, by the way, you're non-priority, so you're going to have to pay 20 quid fine for this. And I went, I don't care, take my money. It means nothing to me. It means absolutely nothing to your company. Are you telling me Dennis O'Brien's going to be like, thank Christ we got that 20 quid off that idiot who didn't get the priority book. So I gave him that. Uh, the flight was delayed, which I think it's standard at this stage. If you have a Ryanair flight that actually drops you to your destination without a delay, it's probably not a Ryanair flight to begin with. But yeah, the the captain did his usual spew of like, oh yeah, by the way, we're really looking forward to the flight today. The great news was we flew really quickly from Faro to here. And I was thinking, what good is that to us? He was like, oh, there was great tailwinds. There was... It only took us about two hours and 10 minutes. But however, our flight time to Faro is going to be about three hours. And as long as there isn't too much of a delay on the runway, we should be taking off very soon. Zero Niner, you are cleared for takeoff. Roger. Huh? LA departure frequency, 123.9. Roger. Huh? Request vector, over. What? Flight 209er, clear for vector 324. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Our radio clearance, over. Clarence, over. Over. Roger. Huh? Roger, over. What? That is worthless information to me. So is how many thousand feet we're going to be flying at and how long the flight's really going to be, to be honest. All I want is just to get there in one bloody piece. Please and thanks. But yeah, the flight itself was a fiasco. Um, Rajan Riley, uh, a goat of St. Michael's College, a member of the first ever SET winning team, he was on the flight and he was quite rowdy. Him and uh, the lads he was with, they're bringing a severe energy and a bit of physicality to proceedings. And once the safety belt sign went off, they all rushed to the front to use the jacks. And there was a few of them not using the jacks. So I was like, what the hell are they doing at the top of the plane? And soon I figured out why. They went up to the air hostess and was more or less like, give us most of your drink. So they bought loads of drink and went back to the seats. And I was in row four, so I had a good view of this whole thing. But... I probably should have done the same thing because it took 25 minutes for them to get to row four with the food, the drink, etc. And by the time they got to me, I was like, give me five of those shit rosés, sorry, not rosés, Merlots you have, and I want to devour them. And for anyone who isn't a wine concierge, Merlot is like the equivalent of someone going, oh, I've got a few cans in the fridge. And you're like, oh, what type? And he's like, oh, Dutch gold. And if they want to drink Merlot, we're drinking Merlot. No, if anybody orders Merlot, I'm leaving. I am not drinking any fucking Merlot! Okay, okay, relax, Miles. 
Jesus, no more low. So that's how desperate I was. But yeah, got to Faro, took an age, came in hot, as you should be. But I hate flying in general. I hate the pettiness of it all. And like Ryanair, my last word on the thing is, like they're basically like a long old friend that you've had, a long time friend that you've had and no one really likes, like that you kind of like. He's like your last resort for a lunch or if you're desperate for a night out, he'll be the last person you'll contact. And you only kind of know him because you've known him for so long and you put up with him for that case. So that's what Ryanair are more or less like. You know they're not great, but you just stick with them anyway because it's easy. So yeah, next topic is my apparent love for cats. And before I say anything about the felines, I do love dogs as well. A lot of people just take me for a cat man. I'm both. Well, it depends on what type, obviously, as well. But, yeah. I enjoy cats, the energy cats bring, because their independence is to be admired. If you let a dog out your front door and just be like, yeah, come back in six hours, he'll probably come back in a fucking bin bag, split in half because a a seven bus ran him over. Well, if you do that with a, a cat... They are more or less going to do their own thing, sit in the wall for two hours, go moving around in bushes and maybe go under a car for a while. And they'll come back and be like, meow, 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 give me some whiskers, please. And you'll be like, yeah, grand. Um, And that's what I mean. They have a complete lack of respect for their owners. So like dogs, you can be like, sit, bold boy, sit, stay, stay, paw. And they're pretty much your bitch. While if you tell a cat to sit, it will hiss at you and probably scrape in the eye and probably blind you. So, you know, that's that's kind of what I like. And the fact that, like, if you're throwing frisbees or sticks, dogs will retrieve it. While if you do that with a cat, the cat's just going to look at you and be like, you're pathetic. But, yeah, I also, like, cats need to be fat and slightly overweight. If you've got a skinny cat, you're wasting my time. Don't even come near me. Don't even try and press me with a skinny cat. Same with a dog. If a dog is skinny... I don't want to see it. I don't hear it. I don't want to touch it. But yeah, I'm both. And as I said, I'm both as long as the creatures are quite physical as well. Um, yeah, moving on quite quickly this week. I got into a lot of tangents last week, but going at a decent pace at the minute. So a few people asked me what was the strangest or the loosest thing I've ever seen or heard regarding pro rugby. And I can't really name names because that wouldn't be fair on the person or the association, but I can disclose that I was um, in a defense meeting at a professional rugby club. And don't worry, I wasn't actually playing. I was observing. I was going over to learn from the coaches or going to the place to learn from the coaches. And I was sitting in a defense meeting and the room is full of internationals, full of highly established pros. And... um, a player comes in and sits beside me and I'm taking notes. And then I start kind of going and suddenly I realize, hang on, this guy's smoking. This guy fully stinks of cigarettes. So um, the meeting itself lasted five or 10 minutes, but every, I'd say 20 seconds, I was kind of going just to ensure that he actually was the culprit stinking of cigarettes. And he was. So I went up to another player after the meeting. I went, oh, Mr. Y over there stinks of cigarettes. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he does that all the time. And I'm like, but he's about to train now in like 10 minutes. And, um, yeah, he went off and trained and ended up playing and scoring a try, I'm pretty sure, on the weekend. So, like, that's a professional environment and a a seasoned international, by the way, who enjoys a few marble lights before a defensive meeting and a midweek training session, which is insane, but... I can't really say I'm surprised because that type of stuff, not all the time, but a bit of the time goes on. There's certain individuals who embrace that whole lifestyle and way of life, so to speak. Um, But yeah, that would be probably the loosest story I've witnessed myself. I've heard a lot of stuff, but some of it, I don't know if it's exactly true. Um, Like I was asked now next to go on to Valdelobo, but I feel like I'll get one more topic out of the way before I go on to that because once I start going on that, all hell's going to break loose. But uh, seeing as a lot of people are going off interrailing at the minute now, I was <laughs> quite a lot of people were saying any tips when you're going interrailing are any loose stories from interrailing. 
And whenever anyone asks me what's like the craziest thing you've ever ha- had to experience on a holiday, immediately Hostel Ole in Prague comes to mind. And for any of you who never got to witness it, anyone who was uh, older than me probably would have stayed there. But anyone who's younger than me wouldn't have because it's shut down after this fiasco I'm about to describe. So Hostel Ole, it's in Prague. And Interalen, it's pretty much the whole of Dublin. All the male schools, all the female schools, they go on a big tour of Europe and just basically get pissed every night. But Prague, really cheap. And this place, Hostel Ole, it's a school during the year. And then for June, July, and August, it turns into a hostel. So it's like a four-story hostel, loads of dorms. And in this case, pretty much the whole of Dublin uh, took over. Rock, Michaels, Clongos, Belvo, Mananville, Alexandra College, Theresians, etc. All scattered all over the place. So I think it was like our third night. We were meant to stay there for five. I'm pretty sure I could be wrong on that, but it's not too important. And so... You'd pre-drink there, and then at about 12 o'clock, you'd go down to Prague to the old town or the main strip, and you'd go to a club, and you'd come back at five or six. So I was staying at the very top floor in the very far corner. So at around five, me and the rest of my crew that I was staying with, we go back to our room, and we go to sleep because you're fairly knackered from a long, long day. And at this stage, it was about half five, six, and the majority of people are in bed. There's a few people walking around the corridors having a few drinks, but nothing too major or disruptive. So um, basically, at around seven or eight o'clock, we hear a lot of commotion outside, like a lot, a lot of screaming, a lot of like things getting smashed. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, can those people keep it together, whoever it is? And basically what transpired in the hour or two since uh, I fell asleep with my mates was some guy the year or two above us in um, Black Rock came back and realized that he'd ran out of funds and he had to book a flight home because he had no money left and he wasn't going to get any money off his parents. So he more or less trashed the place. And when I mean trashed the place, I mean smashed windows um, he got fire extinguishers, set them off. He pushed uh, the emergency button for the fire alarm. Uh, flower pots were smashed. There was glass all over the floor. Like if, it, if you're saying head's gone, it's this guy right now. So like definition of head's gone, lad Bible or wherever you're going to find it. Head's gone is this guy. And an example would be Hostel Ole, what, 2014 or 15 or whatever it was. So yeah, he trashes the place. And obviously the fire alarm goes off. So I had no idea this was taking place. Neither did, I'd say, 98% of the people there. So as I said, there's a bang on the door, a lot of commotion going on. So I was like, piss off, piss off. And the other few people in my room were like, get lost, we're trying to sleep. So then there's another bang, like a... And I'm like, lads, like, can someone get to the door? So one of my mates goes to the door and just locks us. So all we hear then is the volume increasing. All you hear in the background is like, <gasps> so I was like, <laughs> it sounds like someone's been shot. So I'd say another minute passes. And then all we hear is another <laughs> on the door. <laughs> and I was like, here, mate, stop kicking down our fucking door. I thought it was Mark O'Keefe. I actually did. I was like, Mark, piss off for trying to sleep because he'd be the type of guy to annoy you. And uh, starts kicking the door again. And I kind of get out of my bed, just have my boxers on. I was honestly looking like a dropped pasta dish, but still I, I brought power to proceedings. So I was like, hey, shut up, shut up. And then this is where it gets slightly terrifying. So behind the banging, and at this stage you can see the hinges kind of like little sediments of wood like being snapped off due to the power of the kick. All I hear is, and I'm like, okay, that's not fucking English. Either someone's had a few too many GNTs, or else there's a complete foreign species outside that door. And before it can do anything, the door is kicked open. And I'm standing up, by the way. And lo and behold, there's like these police, heavily armed police with massive assault rifles pointing the gun at me screaming going, and I, I grabbed my um 
my sheets from my bed. And I was like, please don't shoot, please, please, please. And the rest of the lads were like covering themselves with the sheet as if that's going to stop them unleashing bullets into your brain. But anyway, they start screaming at us like, start grabbing shit, chucking it around. So I leg it. I was like, right, get my suitcase, get as much shit as I can and just get the hell out of here. So as I said, we're on the top floor in the far corner. So when we leave our room in a hurry, when we walk out into the main like hall and go down the stairs, it's honestly, it's saving Private Ryan open and seeing stuff. You've got lads in the nip legging it around. You have girls in bikinis screaming, tears flowing down their cheeks. It's mayhem and it's quite dusty as well. And people are like, don't breathe in the fumes. There's toxic fumes around as if like it was fucking HBO's uh, debut of fucking Chernobyl. But anyway, people are like, get out, get out, get out. Glass on the floor, the people scream and crying, a lot of commotion. Um, like similar scenes to Home Alone 1 when the family are trying to get to the flight on time. And it's like, So I'll actually, I'll play that soundbite when, <laughs> when I edit this, but you'll get my drift. So everyone's just panicking out. They're like, get out, get out while you can. Leave no man behind, blah, blah, blah. Grenades going off, gunshots. Well, not grenades and gunshots, but it felt like so. So I get out onto the main street. It's just like a complete just collage of shit. People spill out into the streets. There's riot vans everywhere. There's lads getting arrested. There's people crying. There's people outside the local, I think it was either a Tesco or a spa. And one guy essentially was uh, begging to the local Prague faithful for some money because he had no money to get to another hostel. So that was insane. And what made it all the more hilarious was the group I was actually staying with at the time who I was traveling throughout Europe with. I stayed with someone different in Hostel Ole because we were overbooked, but the four or five lads I was with, including the infamous Connor Duffy, slept through the whole event. So the place next the next morning was completely cleaned out. Like everything was gone. There was just clothes, regret, and the smell of sweat and feces like drenched and just still lurking throughout the whole place. But there was no one there. It was a ghost town, apart from Connor Duffy and the boys who slept through assault rifles, people screaming, people crying, which I found to be absolutely hilarious, to be fair. But yeah, that's that's always the one I, I go back to. If anyone wants to know where Hostel Ole is, I think it actually still stands to this day. So if you're going to Prague, I can give you directions to where it actually is and you can take a picture and maybe send it on. So yeah, um, what else is there? Thoughts on a united Ireland. What a politically stupid question this is. Well, it's not stupid, but it's stupid to ask me such a political question. Um, but yeah, I was reading about a week ago that the majority back united Ireland. But to be honest, I still also see the side of the people who don't back it and are like, it's a stupid idea. Um, because of my limited knowledge on the whole thing. And to be fair, I did a few stupid essays in my college degree on it. Um, like there's going to be economical upsides and a lot of downsides to us if it actually becomes a united country. In the long run, obviously it's going to be good, but the immediate setbacks will be will be felt by some people. And I think that's one of the things that needs to be overcome. And then also the incredible history within the two the two countries. Like a lot of shit went down. And a lot of families, a lot of communities were really destroyed. And that also needs to be remembered. Some people don't care about that anymore, but there's a lot of people that still do. And I think with the current plans and with Brexit going on, like I do generally think the plans in place for a potential United Ireland aren't exactly where they need to be. Like as as I don't think enough focus is being towards keeping the peace because there has been little to no drama. Yes, there's been a few hiccups in the last few years, but like who's to say if it's a United Ireland, there's going to be a lot of unhappy people and a lot of unhappy groups and communities. And the last thing we want is violence or anything to come of it. So I think if we can find a medium ground where economically long-term it will suit both places and also if, if violence isn't caused by it, go for it. But I think whether people like it or not, 
down the road, whether it's going to be in a year, five years, 50 years, we'll see United Ireland. I'm pretty sure of that anyway. But yeah, I need a sip. I'm actually getting hoarse here. But yeah, onto my main event now. 19 minutes, 45 seconds. That's a good going. A lot of room now for loose chat. But yeah, the Val de Lobo experience. How do I start on this? Like, honestly, how does one go from being Val de Lobo, sum it all up? Like, the first and foremost, like, first and foremost, the only thing I can say is the whole place is a complete circus. Like, some of the stuff you find there, it's, it's honestly, it's like animals in the wild. So, like, you know the way people go to Africa and go on these safari tours? You see tigers wrestling, elephants and all this stuff. There should be a safari tour of Julia's on a Sunday morning slash afternoon. Because some of the stuff you see there, like, it's primal. It's honestly primal. It's survival of the fittest. It is, it's dangerous. It's pure barbaric behavior at its finest, though. Because, like, you've got some of the the best and most prestigious cowboys of the Celtic Tiger floating around near the bar. Then, like, maybe slightly on the hill, you have Irish internationals who have played rugby for their country. Then maybe a bit up, you might have someone like myself or the Bull of Cochrane who are, you know, past it has-beens, but SET legends in their own right. And then you've got all the remainders, 14-year-olds to 30-year-olds to 70-year-olds. Well... 70 maybe not, but like 60 maybe. But um, like the whole vibe of Portugal is essentially like if Crystal didn't have any age restrictions. So like a 10-year-old can rock up to Harcourt Street and just go to Crystal on a Saturday night. If there was no age restrictions, all the people you'd find in that Crystal are what you find in the Praca and at Julius. It's the future generation, it's the current generation, and it's the past generation. All in the same place at the same time with the same like barbaric mind state or mindset I should say but yeah to get to get started on Julius like Julius itself is keeping with the safari kind of vibe it's essentially a massive drinking pond for all the animals to gather around and showcase their skill set and their muscles I knew how this would be settled in the animal world <laughs> And like, I mean, muscles as in like John Burke patrolling the place, being like, You fucking cocksucker, rally by me a fucking mojito, you fucking cocksucker. And then, like, you look up to your left and you see the fine dining Craig Cusack having a platter the size of a table of fish, being like, This is fine, this is the finest bit of salmon off the coast of Portugal. Thank you very much. And then maybe you go deeper down towards the bar and you'll find the likes of a bloody Danny Hogan. They're talking fluent Bulgarian. Like I'd never met the guy before, but he came up saying he was a fan of my last podcast and he proceeded to burn the ear off me with a language I didn't understand. But he comprehensively understood exactly what he was saying and said it with such conviction, I had to go along with it. And fair play to him. Because it's guys like him that keep this keep Julius and Valdelobo alive. It's their Everest. That is their highlight. That seven-to-day window, that's when physically and mentally they feel at their peak or at their best. But yeah, I remember my first experience of Julius um, this year. So I went in at the top through the restaurant and it was kind of wild, but I was fully, I'm an experienced enough guy. I've been going since second year, but I was walking through the restaurant and the first person I more or less see is Craig Cusack with his top off. And I was like, Craig, stunning piece. And he turns around and proceeds to tell me a story about his golf round. And he was saying, par five, hit a great drive. 260 away from the pin, bombed it onto the green. 260 yards, put for an eagle. And I'm like, did you get it? And he was like, no, missed. And I was like, oh, how far away for your, your birdie? He was like, about 10 to 12 feet. And I was like, oh, yeah. Did you make it? Nope. Tap in par, but great par all the same. So I was like, oh, yeah, fair play to you, fair play to you. But then he kind of half walked away and then turned around again and proceeded to just kind of extend the story. But the thing was, he was he was quite far away, so he had to scream 
Like he actually had to scream, being like, it was only a par five. You should have seen what I had to do on the next hole. It got a bit got a bit loose. And at this stage, he was screaming it. Like, I can't scream or else the microphone will cease to exist. But the entire upstairs of Julius, people, families having their meals, were just staring at this guy, screaming about his adventures on the golf course earlier that day. And I burst out laughing. And even the bartenders behind the bar were just kind of looking at him being like, que? Abrigado? So... That was my first taste. And then it was it only took about 10 minutes for my first sighting of uh, John Burke. And I'd say within four seconds of speaking to him, he was like, you fucking cocksucker. When are we doing our interview on the hill? Berkey, to be honest with you, I'll have you on the podcast at some stage, but I just couldn't have done it on the hill. It would have been far too much, too much too soon, as uh, some people would say. But yeah, like I'm trying to think of some of the first... Um, a few stories and one of the funny stories was a mate of mine that I was staying with and I'll, I'll try keep naming and shame into a minimum I'll just leave it a speculation because that's essentially what is done and on that topic like anyone from the age of 16 to 26 28 it's essentially one massive tabloid being over in Portugal so like the amount of hearsay you get is outrageous someone would be like eh, did you see your man Julius earlier took out a knife and slit your man's throat and then you'd be like what someone's dead it was like well apparently he like supposedly someone took his mojito and next thing you know there's blood flying everywhere so it's like the sun on tour everything you hear is 10 percent fact 90 percent complete gargle spoof but yeah on the first night a friend of mine i was with two of my mates and Unfortunately, Amore and Monty's and one or two of the other places are all closed. So it's really, you go geckos or you go to the beach bar. And we were in the cheeky pub before. So it's about two or three o'clock. And I'm thinking, geez, it's quite late. And this is when we arrive after that shambles of a Ryanair flight. And our mate goes, sorry, lads, I just need to go to the Jacks. So the Jacks kind of are off to the right at the Pracker. So we go, yeah, yeah, go on, yeah, yeah. So we waited in Monty's, there was the last orders there, so we got a drink. And lo and behold, I was like, uh, sorry, we've been here for 45 minutes, where's our mate? And it uh, turns out he took a byline towards the beach bar. But we didn't know that, so we could only presume. And we had to venture down to the beach bar, which is, it's very dangerous. Because, like, yeah, it's basically a glorified crash. <laughs> And lo and behold, we see our mate at the far corner of it. And like getting out of the beach bar alive is similar scenes to the film Predator when Arnold Schwarzenegger's left with your one, your man who's beat up. And he's like, get out of here. Get to the chopper. Get out of here. No. So we had to escape from the beach bar after about 40 minutes of being there and having a blue lagoon spat on me by Dave Moore and was definitely one of the highlights of my time there. Not like, imagine that. I was like, oh, nice to meet you, man. How are you? I coached you all well. And he just goes, spits it all over me. I'm like, key, I cannot wait to smell like a blue lagoon for the rest of the night. And I was about as sticky as... I was honestly about as sticky as fuck super glue. It's a shit comparison, but you'll get the point. So yeah, we escaped from there, which was tough. And I've already described what it was like. And then geckos as well. Geckos, the, the microwave. And what I love about geckos is you have to kind of go down the little ramp and go up the ramp for the walk of shame, respectfully, when you're done. But yeah, like you've got a fiasco on the door who is just complete cowboy people slipping them 10 years to get in the door and to be fair i was partial to the type of person who was like oh i'll just go in for a quick look and let's just say me and the bullet we went in just for a look quick look as we said just a quick look just go in for one no harm done and maybe 90 minutes later when we were completely saturated in sweat and looked like we just ran half marathon in 34 degrees we had to call it quits but what i found so funny is when you actually have to leave geckos you have to go up the ramp and to the right you've got your man selling 
quite possibly the most lethal burgers in Portugal. And then you've got like 30 to 50 people just either completely off their knockers or else just being sober sallies and having a chat. So like if someone spots you in that group of people, they start just like screaming at you and going blah, blah, blah. So it's like the paparazzi, if you think about it. Uh, what kind of gun did you use? You're using a complex. You're bleeding Saturday. Look at him. His clothes are so drab. His face is so flesh-colored and sad. And his feet, they're so small. Say it ain't so crusty. <clears throat> My client has no comment at this time. I didn't do it. <laughs> making that walk of shame. And let's just say Le Boulet um, had to leg it. He fully kind of got a shirt over his face to block out the photos being taken and Usain Bolt, I'd say 5.4 seconds flat, ran up the ramp and straight into an Uber. Efficiency at its finest. But yeah, you hear so many crazy stuff about geckos. So when I left and the latest rumor coming out is the phantom shitter and i won't name and shame the apparent culprit but the story goes that essentially some guy got way too tired and emotional and ended up shitting himself and getting sick on himself in the jacks and he comes out starts doing you know those typical d4 terrible dance moves to shit usher and tiesto music and uh, lo and behold, people were kind of like, it fully smells like the bottom of a birdcage in here. And this man was spotted with shit, or to be politically correct, feces all over his legs, all over his shorts. And he had to be swept out with the security. So, like, imagine that. It's similar scenes to Billy Vanapola being snuck out the back entrance of Crystal, where he shot himself and your man has a towel over, like, his private parts. That's what it must have been like, except on a much more global scale. Because as I said, the tabloids in Portugal are much more devastating and vicious than the tabloids you find at five o'clock on the Harcourt Street. But if that's true, God, Mr. X, so the phantom shitter, some people claim they know who you are. You might need to come on this and set the record straight, so to speak. But yeah, like geckos, it's, it's last resort. Because you come out and you're sweatier than a dyslexic on countdown. Like it's lethal in there. But yeah, like that, like a lot of people, as I said, like Julia's itself, the whole thing's a circus. You've got the banana boats in the background because it is completely bananas as a whole, that place. You then have the praca, which is segregated into the beach bar, which is basically a crash where lads' voice haven't even broken and they think Dave and Ricardo were the best men of all time. Then you've got Amore, which is kind of the halfway house. You've got Monty's, which is basically Hugh Hefner and Chris Kamara town. And then Gecko's is pretty much the the black hole. And then the taxi <laughs> the taxi ranks good night, Irene. So um yeah. Like one of the things I got asked was what is the difference as a 24 year old going compared to a 16 year old put it this way when you were 24 you don't wake up hungover and play golf when you were 16 you do wake up and play golf because you don't get hangovers you don't you can have as many fucked up as you want you can have as many blue lagoons all those crazy shit you get in the beach bar or amore and you wake up feeling like a, a 10 year old ready to play qzar and leisureplex but um yeah, when you get to your mid-twenties, you're just not arsed doing stuff. Anything that just takes effort, you're like, ah, I don't think I'm arsed doing that, to be honest. Like, you're not attracted to going to the praca. You prefer keeping it tame enough apart from Julia's and maybe when you go to the cheeky pub. Because, as I said, Julia's on a Saturday or Sunday is your Everest. You get there at 12 and don't leave till 12. And you're talking incomprehensible crap by the end of it. But, like, if you're 16, the idea of drinking is... It's literally the best thing you'll ever experience in your life. The beach bar is essentially like 26-year-olds going over there on a party to Las Vegas. And then also you have the fact that you're still in school and you've got the rock boys, and I'm speaking from a Michael's perspective here, you've got the rock lads, you've got some Klongos lads, you've a big mixture. Like, they're still, as I said, you've got that primal kind of fear amongst yourselves that you want to be the heavyweights of the schoolboy the school community there. So it's a chance to lay down markers before preseason. 
So, you know, people use the dance floor and geckos to get a bit physical, maybe in the beach bar, showcase off a little bit of the triceps slash biceps. Like it's primal. It's fully primal down there. Um, and as I said, like it's just the fact that you can actually go out. Number one, it's legal to drink. I think if you're 16 over there. And then also it's just, it's a circus. It's a complete circus. You see the who's who of Dublin. But yeah, like a lot changes in six to eight years. So like eight years ago, I went to the beach bar religiously. I saw Dave and Ricardo, the two bartenders behind there. I was like, these lads have the best life ever. They absolutely love themselves. They love their jobs. They're so happy. And when I went down there for like 45 minutes this year, I saw two men who essentially have aged pretty poorly. Two men that probably were like, you know what? I'm getting pretty fucking fed up with making these stupid blue lagoons, having some idiot second, sorry, 16-year-old looking like a fucking idiot come up to me and was like, oh, Dave, 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 oh, do me a solid there. Make me a fucked up in two blue, blue lagoons there. There's 30 quid. Keep the change. And I say, Dave's just like, we have families at this stage. I don't want to be getting screamed at by a bunch of 17-year-olds and being told I'm a slick bastard and getting tips that I just don't really deserve. All I did is put seven up, uh, some Powerade and a bit of ice into a drink, and you think it's key. But yeah, when I when I saw them, my perspective completely changed. It's a bit like uh, the zoo and leisure, leisure plex. When you're a six-year-old and you're doing the free fall thing, the massive slide at the back, you think, Jesus Christ, this is like, 30 meters and you're too afraid to slide down it into the into the massive thing of balls and then when you go back six seven eight years later and look into the zoo you're like oh good time and then you suddenly see the slide and you're like that's fully like five meters i could i could climb up it so that's how your perspective changes of also dave and ricardo you go these lads living the dream, enjoying themselves. And then when you go back eight years later, you're like, fuck, these lads are literally there being like, this is dark, fuck my life. A bit like that cleaner and super bad when McLovin drops his, uh, what does he do? He drops the beer and he's like, oh, you should really clean that up. Is there a problem here, sir? Mm-mm, no, Mm-mm. no problem whatsoever. Sir, did you do this on the floor? No. And you should really clean this up. Someone could really hurt themselves. Fuck my life. But yeah, it's um, from a story perspective, uh, there was meant to be like a, a absolute brawl at Julia's uh, one of the days, which I missed because I went up to Damien Torsney, who I was staying with, and I told him that the meal I had the previous night was shit. And him being da- Damien Torsney, he threw half his rosé all over me. So I was bloodstained so to speak but yeah i had to leave and supposedly five minutes after there was a complete commotion and a bit of fights a few fists flying but that's to be expected as i said it's the pond it's a drinking pond and people the lions the zebras the rhinos they're going to get a bit rowdy for territory so i'm all for that if people want to get physical so be it all i'm saying is they're lucky the most physical man in the place wasn't there at that time but yeah anyone has any information on that send it on please because I'm intrigued to see what happened, who started what, was any bottles thrown, was there assault rifles involved, etc. But yeah, some of the stories you find um, or you hear over there are quite gas. And one that I experienced with a certain mate of mine is quite funny. So Mr. X will call him for this so he doesn't lose his job. But Mr. X anyway, um, we went out. I had to go home at a respectable hour. And I woke up the next morning. The guy I was staying with wasn't there because he was getting busy. So I slept on my own. I found your man who was getting busy. And he was like, oh, uh, and I asked him, I was like, geez, I wonder what Mr. X uh, got up to last night. And he was like, oh, Mr. X, he's in the spare bedroom. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because Mr. X doesn't, he stays with his uh, own bunch of people over there. And I was like, what's Mr. X doing here? And he was like, well, just go in and see. So I thought my mate was lying. So I was like, no, I'm not opening this. This could be your parents in here. It could be a complete stranger. I'm not going to open this door. So my mate pretty much puts hands on heart and goes, listen, I, I shit you not, Mr. X is in there. So I open up to see Mr. X with his top off, snoring his face off, and I burst out laughing. Actually, had tears in my eyes. It was that funny. So I was like, how did this guy end up here? And my mate was like, well, 
Apparently, my mother, who was on her way to Pilates at half eight that morning, half eight, she was walking uh, down the road and then sees this figure staggering all over the place. Remember, it's about half eight, nine at this stage, so it's like 23, 24 degrees, roasting hot. And this guy's staggering around, talking, in like he's incoherent. And the mother goes, oh, Mr. X, what, what are you doing? Where are you going? And then Mr. X is like, I'm going to your house. I'm going to your house. So the mom has to call her husband to collect Mr. X. Mr. X gets into the husband's car, gets out of the car upon arrival at the house, staggers into the spare bedroom, face first onto the covers, doesn't even get into the bed, just flies and flops onto the bed. And when I wake him up the next morning, I'm like, here, Mr. X, get up, get up. He kind of suddenly jumped and took a swing at me and then demanded I got him a UCAL. And for those of you who don't know what a UCAL is, it's basically a chocolate milk over there. And to say Mr. X enjoyed that UCAL is an understatement. But yeah, it's um, it's lawless. It's, it's, it was definitely more manageable than I thought. Because I think there's an age bracket when you're like 20, 22, 21, where it's a bit dangerous. Because if you slip a bit too young, you're into, oh, uh, you're talking to a fifth year. Well, I think when you're in your mid-20s, you just stick to that mid-20s group. And you have a few stopping chats with the younger crowd that you might know through family or friends or whatever. But I feel like 19, 20, it's a lethal age. It is lethal. It's like, a, it's like a little calf, a little baby elephant getting slightly too far behind the rest of the daddy elephants and mommy elephants. And then let's just say all the hyenas and tigers in the bushes are like, right, game on. And as I said, geckos, there's no lights in geckos. So you don't know what you're dancing with down there. Honestly, when the lights come on in geckos, you could fully end up being dancing to some 75-year-old Hugh Hefner look like. Or else it could be the exact opposite. You could be like looking at some like four-year-old baby being like, mommy, mommy, mommy. So from that point of view, it's absolutely lethal. But yeah, that's that's more or less my conclusion. There's a few other bits and bobs, but like as I said, it's it's just a fictional place. It's almost, it's just crystal, the future crystal generations on tour. And I compare it nearly to like GTA San Andreas because you've got the different ganglands. You've got the Quinta crowd. You've got the Valdelobo crowd. You've got the Dunas Doradas crowd. You have the one or two other different sections, sectors, I should say. And it's all just one physical mano y mano vibe going down. And it's at all ages. 15, 16 year olds. It's like, how many junior cups have you won? 18, 19. It's like, have you played for Lancer 20s? Mid 20 year olds, it's like, where are you working? KPMG or PWC? And you'd be like, um, actually, I'm doing an intern. Don't want to hear about it. And then the parents, it's like, I went to that Michelin star restaurant last night. Where did you go? It's like, yeah, I went to the chicken shack. Don't want to talk to you. So that's what I like about the whole place because it will never change. Even through the recession where it got a bit bleak for a year or two, the ashes that remained have now formed or reformed like a terminator and has risen from the grave and now the boom is back but yeah i suppose on to the quick quick fire round and there's a few valdelobo things in this now so the best nando's compatriots james ryan second question best holiday you've ever had in trailing by far is what I'd have to say to that. It's absolutely incredible. You and like 60 of your year and some of your closest mates from other schools and some of the women you've hung out with for several years, traveling all over Europe, getting to see the sites, see great clubs, do crazy stuff. It's incredible. And then an honorable mention would probably be the West Coast. Going from like Vancouver to Seattle to San Fran to Port well, Portland, then San Fran. LA, San Diego to Vegas is a pretty incredible holiday, but Interred and takes the biscuits. Third question, could you do an Instagram live podcast? I could. If people want to, want me to do that, I can do it. But like, I'm not going to do it if it's like 20 people just screaming abuse at me. If I set a time and a date and people actually do it constructively, I'll do it. 
so if Julius had a starting pack, so a rugby pack one to eight from this year, who would it be? Great question. So I'll start with the front row. Um, props. <sighs> My props would be Craig Cusack, Loosehead. Fine wine, finest wine. Crouch, bind, sip of that sherry. Fine. Um, Craig Cusack, Loosehead, myself at Hooker, and Nick Torsney, Tidehead. Like that's pure power right there. Beef and power and unrelenting energy and smack talk while you're at it second rows this year i suppose ross maloney and john burke there you've got a great line out operator a guy who can bring experience to it and then you've got the pure razzmatazz physical nature of john burke be like you fucking cocksucker i don't need a fucking bind in this fucking scrum back row connor kukoin i put him in at six because him legging it around with that dodgy barnet of his is something I'd like to see. He's also a physical man. I wouldn't want to get in his way. Um, seven. I suppose Jordy Murphy. Who else? <laughs> and then number eight, I'd probably... One of the cooks, I'd say. Maybe Tom or Sam. Stick them in. They're good physical specimens with good hair. Good uh, kind of top of the pile of the pack so yeah that'd be my pack pack leader would have to be craig cusack stunning piece like he'd be he'd be talking to the ref like in breaks of play and being like ref you're on thin ice um so next question most toxic person on the hill so a few candidates would have to be jesus there's a lot a lot jesus the more yeah wow the most toxic i'd say would be dave morn uh he was called uh mount moron by my ear because of his uh spitting out blue lagoons at me saying stuff he shouldn't have said to people he didn't know he was way off which i suppose is understandable but he was way off way out of line he's a volcano ready to erupt at any given moment next question what was it like staying with the Torsnies? Well, it was interesting. I was stuck in a boot by Damien, which was outrageous. I was about to get into a car and he goes, get in the fucking boot. And I was like, I'm not getting in the boot. And he goes, get in the fucking boot. There's no room for you. So uh, he shoved me in the back of the boot um, with a baby carrier and slams the door. And I go, Damien, can you just drive slowly? Vroom, vroom, vroom. I thought Finn Diesel was driving the car. And I was swinging around in the boot. But yeah, what was it like staying with them? It was a mixture between staying with Gordon Ramsay, who was played by Damien Torsney. Good. Now just shut the fuck up! Do you eat that? No, chef. Hey, you can be pissed off. You get every fucking right to be pissed off. You know that. As he yeah. swear a lot. And he's just quite a intimidating, inti- intimidating father. He'd be supported by the Kardashians, a.k.a. all the women in the house, with their rosés and their gossip talk and all this. And then I suppose Nick Torsney would be a bit of a, like a Jack Osborne type uh, guy, this laid back guy with long hair um, and enjoying a few pints. So, yeah, Gordon Ramsay, the Kardashians and Jack Osborne. Uh, second last question. Top five goats on Julia's Hill. Bullock Coughlin. I enjoy his energy. I enjoy the fact that he always is outside Gecko's going, I'm just going for a quick look, lads. Um, and he also labels the place a fiasco every five minutes, which is completely fair and accurate. Number two would have to be Craig Cusack, stunning piece. I'm going to include the Cook family as a whole um, because they're an institution at this stage. Um, like they, They're quite a physical family in their presence, even their father and the rest of them as well. They do, they're quite a a strong have a strong hold at Julius uh, the Torsnies for their just pure manic aggression at time and lastly myself because I've been going for quite a while I had a quick sabbatical a bit of a Dan Carter sabbatical it took a few years off rest the batteries but now I'm back and to be fair the place it's better than ever because of my return the energy the physicality 
and the power I brought to Julia's and beyond is it's unmatched and unrivaled. And last question, sum Portugal up in three words. Um, an absolute circus. So yeah, I rest my case. That's that. So that pretty much concludes this uh, second ever episode of Rand's Rant. Let me know what you think. Um, I was thinking maybe down the line, maybe after an EP or something like that, I think it'd be a good idea maybe to get people on or get like a phone in. So say if I was doing this again, I could get people to phone in and tell some of their stories about Val de Lobo and what they saw. I think that'd be good to get an extra perspective on it because I've just got a singular, this is a fiasco, this is ridiculous um, type place. This is AOR. And by the way, AOR is absolutely ridiculous. And that was another question I was asked, but I didn't actually answer it. But now that I got reminded of it, I will. People are asking me, you use a lot of slang. And just some words for people, AOR equals absolutely ridiculous. NASP equals not a serious person. And NUMFUP means not my fucking problem. But yeah, you can use them at will. Uh, I don't like talk. Talk used to be good. Talk used to be a touch of class, which was someone that I knew in Dublin from Michael's. He used to be like, oh, that's a touch of class. And now it's just gone too mainstream and every Alicadoo's using it. would be like, oh, that's such a talk, mate, such a talk. And it's like, get a grip, mate. Honestly, get an absolute grip. So yeah, that concludes us. As I said, please share, please like, please tell me what was good, please tell me what was bad. And um, yeah, any ideas you have going forward for a solo podcast or potential guests, let me know. And as I said, if you've got a spare 90 cents to give, please do. It'll be linked below this. It'll be on my Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. So thank you for listening. And hopefully I'll see you, not see you, but get to talk to you sooner than you think. Bye-bye.